Good morning once again. Uh, for those, if I missed you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at DCC, and we're in a new series called You Believe That? And that's how this is actually says, you know, you can read that phrase many different ways, but you believe that? And as we engage as Christ followers, we, um, we believe several things. And, and so for someone who might be pursuing Christ or on that journey, uh, you, you know, that's something that you will hear about, or maybe it's the, the you know, Jesus was born in a virgin birth. That's a miracle that we, that we believe, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so there's different things that people would, a natural reaction would probably be, you believe that. And maybe you've said that, or you're a Christ follower, you've talked with your belief about someone else. Uh, maybe you've asked that question before, or you hear people doing that. And, and so it's something that if you pursue Christ, if you pursue Christianity, and what it means, which is, uh, Christianity is what it means to follow Christ, uh, if you pursue it seriously, at some point you will have the question. Now, I thought it'd be really great for a couple of weeks here to look, you know, seriously at what we believe and talk about that, um, but I also want to talk about uh, when we have questions, and, and if you have questions, you know, how does that lead you to faith? But then I want to talk about what it means for us to be a Christian. It means at some point we say, Christ, I lay, lay my life down for yours. That's actually the song we opened with today was, I lay me down, I'm not my own. And what does it mean for us to get to that point where we say that, that we proclaim that uh, Christ is our identity? And so, you know, what do we believe? Well, that, you know, usually, like I said, it starts with questions. And maybe you've asked these questions before or you hear these questions. Somebody will say, well, I don't have faith in something that isn't there, that I can't see. You know, if God is real, shouldn't we be able to see him? And that, that's, that's a, a struggle. And... and and even as a Christ follower, sometimes we, we wish God we could see him. We wish we could really know him. And, and maybe if you're really seeking an answer to something, that is maybe when you feel that the most. And so, you know, someone would say, well, what? Uh, and, and along with that, some people say, well, you know, I believe in science. We need to have something that you can prove and that you can see. And that's what is real to me. And I'm someone who loves science and loves the pursuit of that and as a Christ follower, there's no conflict there for me at all. And uh, the more that we find out, the more that is discovered, it's amazing. And, and so I believe science should increase our faith. And so that question comes up. And then, you know, people say, well, why doesn't God just show himself? Why is he making this so hard? Well, as Christ followers, we believe that he did. And people still didn't believe. It's fascinating. Uh, a really huge one in our culture in Asia today is why all this evil? Why does God allow all this evil and suffering to be in the world? And then there's also, if there is a God, then aren't all religions just pursuing the same thing? So why do we proclaim Christ as the only way to God? And these are some huge questions, right? And, and we're not going to have time to get on all of these. But I just want to lead with that a little bit because over time, we're going to do a couple weeks with this and we're going to come back at the end of November and revisit this again um, but how do you find faith and belief out of questions like this? How does that lead you to a place with Christ? And many that are here today, many of you sitting here with me and maybe even watching, you have found faith. You say, I believe in Christ. I understand these questions, and He is my Lord. He is my Savior. Many of you do believe. So what are the, the foundations, the, the core things of our well, I thought it'd be really kind of interesting, especially here in, in our non, we're a non-denominational church, and so 
um, you know, I thought it'd be interesting to, re- to visit the Apostles' Creed. Now, depending on your faith tradition, if you grew up in a very, uh, I wouldn't say traditional, but, um, you know, depending on your background history, you may have recited this creed at different times, maybe even every Sunday. So as I read through this, uh, it's a chance that you haven't memorized it. It could have been in the school that you went to, like something growing up you had to read. And then you just, you didn't even think about it anymore. It's just something that you said. But this, the Apostles' Creed, as we call it, um, it was, came up from a long time ago. It was born in the third or the fourth Century and it was really created to battle heresy and, and bad theology in the church to help root the entire church as a whole together on our core beliefs that are so important. It's interesting that it's not actually from the, the apostles, but uh, so if you grew up in a liturgical tradition, there's a chance you've, you've said this a bunch. Um, the, it has 12 articles, 12 different things covering God, man, creation, fall, redemption, the church, sacraments, and the return. Of Christ. And as I mentioned, it was created to help battle heresy. So its basic Trinitarian structure helped to ground the early church in basic Christian truth. So there's, we believe there's one God in three persons. The person of Jesus is, is one but two distinct natures. And so uh, the creed reached its final form in the late 6th century. For those of you keeping score, taking notes, okay, so now you know that. Um, it was, it was generally regarded for a while as it actually came from the apostles, but it didn't. It was something uh, in the Renaissance, scholars knew that you know, apostles themselves did not write it. So it's not something that we see in scriptures, but it's a creed that we stated that's come up over time to help us present and, and really help you know, say our faith in such a, a concise way. And so uh, it remained a valuable, concise way to confess our faith. And so it's still used today by Christians all over the world. So let's read through the creed. Uh, I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to just you know, kind of walk through it slowly. But it's not the, everything we're talking about today. I want it just to be the ground for our, the, one of the most core things that drives us as Christ followers, and that's the resurrection. So let's read through the creed. What is it? What does it say? Here we go. I'm going to read through it once and then go through it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I love it. So many great things there. Uh, and so let's just talk through this a little bit. If you if you've have a liturgical tradition or you've cited this in school, you'll probably notice a couple of lines that seem different. Um, but let's begin. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We begin to establish the Trinity. We have God, the Father, and then Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And we know that Jesus came down to us, and so he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which is so important. He did not come from man. He was not born of sin. This is a critical thing. Um, so he's born of the Virgin Mary, he's, and uh, came to us humbly, not as we ever expected the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior to come. And God loves to challenge the, the power of the world with the simplest things. It's such a beautiful thing. He came as a baby. 
And then, and then he says he suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman ruler at the time. It established this as an event in history. We can tie all of history through this. He was crucified. He died and was buried. And this is so significant that he experienced death. And so it says here that he descended to the dead. And, and when this was originally written, it says that he, he descended to hell. And, and so we, we, have, we associate the word hell with torment and all these different things. And there's been these, all these huge theological destruction the, uh, debates over this. And you can get really, really deep into this, obviously, with a deep theology. And so uh, you might have even read this in the past as he, he descended into hell. And so one of the things we, this, this statement means is that he died, that Jesus actually died. And he experienced what it means to die. We don't believe that he was tortured or anything like that. He absolutely was tortured and experienced taking on all of our sins upon the cross. But he actually died. He experienced what death is. And then he rose three days later, just like he said that he would. And so that's what that means. And, it, and it's really, this is something that should bring comfort to us, is that as, as Jesus experienced all the emotions of our life, he experienced the worst of the pains that we ever could, including one that we never have. He understands the struggle of our sin. He lived a sinless life, which is actually harder. He understands what it means to resist the temptation of sin at its hardest. When we can never, we can never do that. He was able to withstand that, but then he experienced taking on all of our sins. That Christ poured out his judgment and his anger upon him on that cross. But then he experienced what it means to actually die. And the fear of that and letting your life go. He descended into death. And then it says, on the third day he rose again. And Jesus' resurrection is the center of everything that we believe. It gives us all the confidence that we have in him. We know that the resurrection happened. We can point to that. And there are so many different things. They give us confidence in the resurrection. It's why his followers face death without fear. Because they saw him defeat death. They were no longer afraid of it in ways we couldn't imagine. It's amazing. So on the third day, he rose again, and then his, his believers, the followers, saw him. And they, he ascended into heaven, and we know that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he is now interceding for us, praying for us. The passion that led him to the cross and to take our sin and to die, that passion hasn't gone down at all for you and me. He pursues us and loves us with that same passion even today. That he is, he is there for us. He's, it says that he is praying for us, interceding on our behalf to the Father. He's made a way to God. So that we can be forgiven. And so in our worst of sin, it says that he is our advocate to come to us when we blow it in the worst way. He says, okay, I've come, but that doesn't take ownership of you anymore. And he pleads in our behalf and we can be forgiven. So that's, I mean, that's where it says here. So it says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead meaning that we've been made to be eternal, that we're accountable for this life and our actions, that he gave us freedom to choose our own way. 
And judging the living and the dead means that there is wrong in the world and that God is a loving God and won't allow that, us to get away with that. Which is such good news for us when we long to see justice in our world today. And when it's not happening, God says it will happen. Everybody will be held accountable. And that's why we need Christ, because we need forgiveness so that we can experience His grace. And then it ends with this. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit working in us in the world today. The Holy Christian Church, and this is a line that you usually has read, the Holy Catholic Church, which is really confusing if you read this, if you've read the creed before, you hear the Holy Catholic Church, because we, we generate, you know, the Catholic Church means a denomination, so a whole and, and huge organization in the world, right? And that word Catholic means unified together, and so... In modern, you know, in modern writings of this, we say the Holy Christian Church because it's referring to that unified church, not the Catholic denomination. So that helps us understand that if you've ever wondered. And so it's the Holy, we believe in the Holy Christian Church. Jesus said that my church will prevail and that in the gates of hell will never overcome it. And, and Jesus' words are still true today. It's one of the reasons why we know that we can believe in him. Together, all over the world, Christians in all kinds of uh, ways, are uniting together, worshiping Christ our Savior. Even right now, it's an amazing. Whether it's in a place where they're persecuted for it, it's under uh, penalty of law and death, it's happening everywhere today. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, a huge thing for us that we have in Christ, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Jesus' resurrection shows us that we are made to be eternal, that there's more to this life, which deep down inside every single one of us is that longing, is that longing that there's more than life right now. Even those that would say, I'm a naturalist, secularist, atheist, humanist, get to the end of their life and they say this, this can't be it. There's, there's something in us that says that we can't just leave it on the line. You are made to be eternal, and Christ's resurrection shows us this. It shows us that we have hope in all things. So no matter what you believe about Jesus, there's the creed. Christianity, you have, to, you have to recognize that there is a long history with a very deep, beautiful, rooted theology. And so there's, there's some, several major things that come out as we read through the creed together and the cores of our belief. One is, and I've been talking about this pretty pretty much already, but it's the resurrection. I just kind of launch into it. You know, it's just easy. It's the central part of everything we believe is Christ's death and resurrection. And it's really the starting point of faith for anyone who wants to believe is that if Jesus did not rise from the grave, it means that his teachings really didn't mean anything and weren't true at all. Everything he claimed was about himself. And so if that isn't true, then, then none of those other things really matter. But if it is, they do in such a huge way. And so everything for us starts at his resurrection. It's the center of our faith. And we see that all throughout the creed. And then we see the Trinity. We have God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is one in three persons. A big theological belief for us. And then we see where Christ is our Savior and our Lord. And so as Christ followers, we say, He died for me. And the only way for me to be brought back to God is to go through Christ. Because of what he's done, he's made a way to bridge the gap that my sin caused between me and God, a just, holy God. And so he is the ultimate 
person that we could pursue. He is, as a Christ follower, my God. I recognize that he is the creator and the, and the one that, that understands this life more than anyone else. And I've been created for him. I've been created by God and I've been made for him. That there's no other pleasure in this world or thing that I can pursue that is greater than him. And it's the best thing that he could ever do for us is to lead us to himself because he is the source of life. He is love. The love that we seek, it comes from him. He is life. And so we say that he is the supreme being of our life. And then another thing that we see all throughout the creed is, the, is sin, the effects of our wrongdoing, how we've broken off of this relationship with God. And so this is all throughout it. And so it's interesting, there's not actually a statement that says, I believe in sin. Like that, it seems like kind of an interesting thing to say if we were to do that. Like, that, that's weird. We don't actually want to say that. <laughs> and, it's a, um, and we wouldn't say that enthusiastically like that. But, but it shows the effects of our separation from God. Like Jesus had to die. There was a reason he was crucified. There was something that's happened between us and God that, that put, you know, that's created a divide that's led to the death and evil and destruction that is in the world. And it carries a huge consequence. And that's why someone had to come and to take our place who could live a perfect life. And that's what Jesus did. And that's why his crucifixion is so important. It's why we sing about it and celebrate the way that we do. And then we see that there's forgiveness of sin. That God didn't leave us in this broken place. But we can be set free from the burden of death. And so we have a way to be forgiven. And he's made a way for us to reconcile with one another and to reconcile the world. And this is what our world needs so much of. There's a place for us to forgive. And, and one of the ways we experience Christ's love is to love others. As we love as he's loved us, we experience that in a greater way. And the same thing is of forgiveness. You will experience God's forgiveness of you when you forgive others. You set someone else free from that burden that they feel between yourselves. God has given us that ability and that power. And where does forgiveness come from? Where do, we, where do we feel the need to be made right with one another? It comes from God, the one who ultimately is fully righteous. And so that's such a big thing. And so the other thing that sin shows us is that, is that sin is destructive. And that pursuit of everything other than God. So to pursue the, the things to be God of our lives, essentially, other than Him, is to bring sin in the world because it brings brokenness to our lives. And, and so we have a pursuit that we long to go after that is destructive, that will lead us to harm. It leads us to harm ourselves. It also can lead us to harm other people and to hurt other people. And we do this in big and small ways. There's people that you love dearly. And you hurt them. Maybe it's a spouse or someone you're dating, or it could be your parents, your son or your daughter, your roommate. Usually it's the people closest to us that we hurt the most. But you also hurt yourselves. You, have what, you, can, de- you can decide whatever the line or the boundary is in your life, but you violate your own terms. I tell my kids, you shouldn't do these things. And I do them. <laughs> and they're like, what is that? And so we talk about that. Like, like, we just can't keep our own rules. We hurt one another, and it brings destruction. And we see 
the results of it all over our world. We can't get things right. We're arguing about everything you could possibly think of. No matter how much we right wrongs in the world, we see them continually be destructive all around us. And so as Christians, we, we are learning to recognize the power of sin, and we walk away from it. We're learning to walk towards Christ, because whatever pursuit it is, whatever God, little God we make out of the things in our lives, it never brings us full comfort. It never brings us peace. It never brings us security. Listen to how the psalmist describes this. In Psalm 38, 3 and 8, it says, Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished Heart. In Psalm, that's Psalm 38, 3 and verse 8. And then Psalm 40, 12 says this For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Sin begins to crowd our heart like weeds in a garden that's overrun. And it says, Troubles surround me. And, and when it begins to do this, it it's, you can't see, you just, you don't even know how you get out of this. It says, I have lost all courage. It, 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 it dampens our spirits. That's why we feel anxious. It, it makes us, you know, it, it takes the vitality out of life even. It takes your vigor out of the job that you do. It's amazing. And I think we've felt the effects of this so much during COVID because we've tried to soothe ourselves during this period of, of such a weird time in our world with just feeding ourselves more and more, but that doesn't always, that will not fully satisfy you. And these are just appetites, and we've just kind of built up more and more weeds, and we don't realize that's happening. And we feel this way more and more. And so this is why the resurrection is so powerful and important. And why, if you're not a follower of Christ, you should consider pursuing him, because we need that redemption in our heart. We need that, a place of forgiveness, of redemption, and restoration. And that's what Christ has shown us. His resurrection says, I can actually kill death. I can defeat it. It has no longer has power over you. And the things that lead us to death, I can lead you out of. So for us, here's what the resurrection brings. A couple of things for us to consider. One is this. The resurrection brings assurance. It brings us assurance beyond whatever troubles you're going to encounter in this life. Listen to this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him back with the believers who have died. When we lose close loved ones who are in Christ, we know that we have hope beyond hope. We have assurance in our own life as well. Christ is longing to lead you and I towards assurance, a confident hope, peace, and joy. He didn't promise us that he'd take our problems away. We're going to continue to have problems in this world, but they can lead us to him. We can have hope and assurance in all things. We know problems aren't going away. We're very well aware of that. 
and we've been adopted into his family, that you are one of his. We know that he will never let you go. Jesus said, when you become mine, I, you will never come out of the grip of my hand. I'm always holding you. You belong. We belong. It's amazing. Paul says in Romans, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You've been adopted by him. That's why we, in our, when, we, when people take the step of membership with DCC, it's less about being part of an organization because we're an organism. We're a living, breathing body. It's us saying that we belong. We belong. In the Great Commission, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he says to us, he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority and on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why would he call us to be baptized? Well, baptism is a picture of belonging. It says that we have been brought into the family. When we confess our faith in Christ, one of the first steps we take is to, is to, is to take the step of baptism as this public proclamation of our faith. And it's this picture of how we died with him, we rose with him, and we have been washed clean. You belong. You've been brought into the family. You have assurance. So the resurrection brings assurance. The second thing is this, is that resurrection brings grace. It brings grace. It brings grace. This is this incredible thing for us that in the very place that we would normally feel condemnation, Jesus says, you no longer have to be condemned because of what you do. Your past, present, and future sins, Jesus has taken care of them on the cross. He wants to set you free, and so we step into his grace. And this is one of the hardest things for us to do because we've been taught to, to torture ourselves. And it's the opposite of what our nature says inside of us, that we can step forward fully forgiven. It says that Jesus saved us to the uttermost. We have sinned and been broken to the uttermost of our lives. The worst thing that you've done or that may happen again in the future that you just want to walk away from, these secret things that you hide even from the closest people from you, the secret things that you are ashamed of, we have done it to the uttermost. So Jesus saved us to the uttermost and we can stand before him and we stand in his grace. You have been declared right with God. It says in Romans 4, 23, when God, it says God counted him as righteous. This is talking about Abraham. And it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. In the very place we feel condemnation, Jesus extends us his grace. One of the hardest things for us to do in coming to God is to admit, <laughs> admit I did this. To look at something and say, that's actually me. I want to sin. I, I want to be jealous. I want to hate my boss more than anybody's ever hated a boss ever. I want to see, I, I imagine them being in a car wreck. Like, I'm just giving scenarios. I'm not saying my actual boss. And you're like, really? That's really bad. Like, some of you think these things. 
You think horrible because you're so mad at people. We want revenge. There's an evil that lurks within us. We lust after things, after people, after images, after status, after likes. And we can never get enough. And God came to rescue us from that and to stand in that moment and to say, because of Christ, I see you as righteous. Now walk away from this and walk towards life in my grace that I offer you. His grace is what restores our soul. Because you have something that frees you, it can restore us together. And we need His grace. Some of you are beating up yourselves over things. And you come before God and you beat yourself up over this. And he says, I came so to do away with that. Romans 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can come before him and you can admit it. He doesn't want to walk away from you in those moments. He actually wants to lean in with you more when we are at our worst. Because Jesus understands that more than anyone else ever could. He knows how hard it is, how broken we are. And it's in those very moments that we want to walk away and push away, that he wants to lean in the most with you. That's his grace. His grace restores our soul. And Christ wants you to experience strength, comfort, power, and peace in your life. <clears throat> there are created things that we put higher than God. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to pursue this stuff. There's joys of life. Because of Christ, we can enjoy these things. But when we make them our God to fulfill us, it never will. And that's why we need Religion steps in and says, guilt and shame, that's what's going to bring you back. That's going to put you in the right place. But it won't. You just stop it so you don't experience that, but you will come right back to it once that's gone away. But Jesus says, says to us, I took your guilt and shame. I take it for you. Come experience my grace. The result is we have hope in all things. We are adopted. We have assurance of eternal life. He is the hope we pursue. We allow him to lead us away from destructive habits. Everything else we enjoy then are the good gifts that God has given us. So pursuer of Christ today as we end this message together. What are you and I, we are not just hoping on a prayer to have a good system laid out that is the best one to pick from. Now, we believe in the living God, the only one true God, who has shown himself to us. You and I are invited to in the pursuit of this. If you are pursuing God, I want to invite you to begin to take those steps towards him. I pray that this is a safe place for you to come and engage God. And what do you do? Take steps. Attend on a Sunday. Come and ask questions. I would love to meet with you with questions you do have. Connect at an upcoming event or join a dinner group. Sign-ups have started today.
take steps. Christ followers that are here today, for how much of your life right now is filled without peace, comfort, security, and strength? Are you in, in, in anxiety, in, in, in a dark place? What in your life has become a substitute for Christ? How can you take steps to, to live in His grace and begin to put Him as the supreme pursuit of your life? How can you allow the resurrection of Jesus to take root in your heart? That's what we are pursuing together. And the next week, you got to say, well, yeah, but what about this? And what about these things? And all these? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. You, you feel and experience the problems that we see in the world. Why is that? And, and we still want to follow Jesus despite that? Why is that? Why make Him Lord? And so we're going to begin to talk about those things next week. But this week, how can you pursue Him? and experience that grace in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, your love for us. That you didn't just look at us and say, how awful is everything? No, you stepped in and said, let me take this so you can be free. I pray today that we would begin to experience the joy of your grace. And that we would just start that pursuit or pick it back up. Experience your forgiveness and grace in our lives. God, I pray that you would ride upon our hearts, pursue us and help us to believe today. Give us the faith to know that you are the best thing that we could ever pursue. We lay it down for you. It will be our joy. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.